0: I walk a bit different now, now that my heart's been found. Nothing really feels the same. I hold my head a bit higher, I lift my voice a bit louder. Yeah, something inside has changed.
1: Good morning. I'm so glad y'all made it here safely. We kind of dodged the bullet this morning. Uh, Woke up this morning, and it is kind of disappointing, isn't it? You look out the window, and it just looks kind of just nasty, but today we've decided to be here, and we've made a choice because we serve a risen Savior. There's a quote by Paul Tripp. He says this. says, Corporate worship is a regular, gracious reminder that it's not about you. You've been born into a life that is a celebration of another, Corporate worship is designed to remind you that in the center of all things is a glorious and gracious king, and that king is not you. We are here because we serve the living God. We serve a risen Savior, and he is worthy of our praise and worship. So I'm so glad that you could join us here. And some of you that made a choice to join us online, I know you're streaming right now. We're so glad to have you. And last week, it was good to have you guys check in online. Let us know who's watching from home. Uh, So if y'all wouldn't mind doing that as you watch online, we would love to see who's with us uh, at your home. But right now we're going to ask everyone to stand. As you stand, if you are visiting with us, please stop by our guest table in the lobby uh, before you leave and pick up a guest bag and please fill out a guest card. But right now just wave at your neighbor, welcome them to the service, and let's prepare our hearts for worship. (laughs)
2: that song. So many of us this past year have lost a loved one, but they're in heaven, a mother, a dad, a friend. You know, um, I want to pray for those families this morning if you've lost somebody. We want to remember Robert Elder's family. He went home to be with the Lord this past week, and we just want to pray for them. God let us uplift them and give them comfort and strength. Every day, You know, this also, I want to remember our missionary of the month coming up for February. It's called the Word of the Messiah, Sam Nedler. He's going to be here February the 14th, and he'll be preaching here. So remember him. Also, there's information about that. It will be in the bulletin if you'll just see how you can help and help with his ministry and pray for him. It's a worldwide ministry. And I want to remember this morning some other things. You know, I have a couple missionaries in my own home. Graham and Trent, I want you to remember them. I want to remember our nation this morning. We need to be praying for our nation. In our prayer time at 10 o'clock, we want to invite you to come. Every Sunday morning, we meet uh, at 10 o'clock. We want to invite you to be a part of that. We want to pray for our nation. We want to pray for our families, our church family. Uh, This morning, we want to pray for our church. Uh, I met with one of our Sunday school teachers Saturday morning. We talked about Sunday school and worship. So we're going to pray for our church. I want to read to you and we'll have prayer. Psalms 34 verse 8. Oh taste and see that the Lord is good. God's good. God's good all the time. Take of Him. He's good to us. Through all that we go through in life, God is good. Oh taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Aren't you glad He's our refuge and strength? Very present help in time of need and trouble. We can come to Him and let us pray together Father this morning we come before your throne and we're so grateful that Lord we can taste of you and know that you're good and Father we want to thank you that you're our God, our Savior our hope of every day and Father we want to pray this morning for the needs, we want to pray for the Robert Elder family that you would be with them be with Wanda and the family just bless them God, comfort them. Be with them throughout the days to come. And Father, when we all as believers get to heaven, we'll get to see each other again. And we thank you for that great promise. Lord, our mothers, our dads, loved ones who've gone before us. What a day our children will see again because our faith is in you. And we rejoice in that. And Father, this morning we pray for our nation. God, that you bring renewal, revival to this nation, to the church of the living God. Lord, our families, we lift them up before you. Lord, as a church family, we pray for them, that God, that you would comfort them. And Lord, I pray that you'd awaken us as your people. Your word says to awaken unto righteousness. And Lord, help us to do that. And Father, we're so grateful that you're our refuge this morning. Lord, that we can run to you and find our comfort and strength our protection, our provider. You've been all those things. And Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
3: quickly we Too. that's the God who wants- we not forget the voice that's holding back the waves Was once the voice who told the skies to pour them into place Let us join the endless song of everlasting praise The only God Through the oceans, you can break through these chains. If your word made the mountains, you can move them all the same. If death fell before you and it's still on its face, then the power that raised you is about to move again. If you broke through the oceans, you can break through these chains. to
4: Thank you, Caitlin. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. We've been in this series for quite some time now. If you will stand with me, we're going to look at one verse again this morning. It's going to be verse 13. But I'm going to start out in verse 9. And the title of this series, this part of of Romans chapter 12 is called Authentic Christianity. Which basically we've been talking about this. What does a born-again believer actually look like? This is where the rubber meets the road, and we've talked about for 11 chapters, Paul has shared some of the greatest theology in all of the Bible, and then when we get to chapter 12, he says, now here's where you apply it. And notice what he says in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. We talked about that. That if you're going to love somebody, be real in your love. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence, fervent in zeal, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. We looked at those three last week. And then today, today he says this, distributing to the needs of the saints, giving to hospitality. So basically the one point he says for an authentic Christian is this, primarily you meet the needs, physically, materially, And also ministerially of God's people. Notice the word saint. Notice the word need. Notice the word distributing. That's the first part. You distribute needs. All right. Needs are different than wants. Needs does not enable somebody to stay in the system. Right? Needs saints starts in God's with God's people. Okay. Distributing to the needs of the saints, comma given hospitality. And when we talk about hospitality, you have to understand the culture a lot different than ours, okay? And, and we're going to talk about that here for just a moment, but what is an authentic, what does an authentic Christianity look like? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, you have called your people to be generous, to be generous toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, thankfully, in America, you have put us in a good place. Father I'm reminded all across the globe, there are Christians literally living out this verse, that most of us will never have to live out. But Lord, we can still be generous to your church, to your kingdom, to your work and toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, given to hospitality, the most welcoming place in Alexander County should be East Hillsville Baptist Church, toward our brothers and sisters. Regardless of their race, economic status, education, Lord, all those things should not even come into play because we're born again, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So Father, we're talking about authentic Christianity, not making a decision or being baptized or being circumcised or joining a church. We're talking about being born again, men and women who, and boys and girls who have placed their faith and trust and their hope in the resurrected Christ. What does that look like? Father, we thank you for your word today, and we pray that we would apply it to our hearts, and then in return, because of that, you'd be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you. You may be seated. Authentic Christianity. Notice verse uh, 13 again. Look at the word distributing, and both points talk about meeting the needs, first and foremost, of God's people. Distributing. Look at the Greek word. You can't see it because it's in blue, but it's koinoneo. It describes the sharing of one's possessions, now notice this, with the implication of some kind of joint participation and mutual interest. It's in the present tense. Which means this, and what Paul was telling the church at Rome, that your life should be a life of generosity. It should be be present tense. It shouldn't be something you just do at one time. It should be something that is happening. One scholar goes on to say this, the Greek word was used in Greek marriage contracts. Now listen to this. We're talking about a joint participation uh, or a meeting needs, a partnership. This Greek word was used in marriage contracts where the husband and wife agree to a joint participation in the necessities of life. No prenups in those days, ironically. They're saying we're in this together for better or for worse. It's amazing how that all works out together, doesn't it? The key idea is that of a partnership possessing things in common a belonging in common too Christian koinonia or fellowship is much more than a pat on the back and a handshake it means sharing the burdens and the blessings of others so that we may all grow together and glorify the Lord true love, notice the verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy a, a love that is without hypocrisy will be a generous love notice what Paul tells Timothy as Timothy pastors the church at Ephesus in 1 Timothy six seventeen. charge them that are rich in this age Look at the word rich. Do you consider yourself rich? How many of you own a car? Raise your hand. You know that the majority of the, of the world outside of America does not own a car? Come on, They don't. How many of you have clean water? Come on. You do realize that the majority of the world does not have. So when now you understand context here. Paul is not writing to the rich in Ephesus. He's writing to the church. And he's telling Timothy, charge them that are rich in this age. talking about his own people who had, didn't have a whole lot. You have more than they do. Do you realize that when you go home today and you have heat, electricity, you have plumbing, you have more than the king of England had? Do you realize he would switch places with you right now in a second to have the basic things that we have? Think about that. It's amazing what we have. And I'm not saying, look, charge them that are rich. It's a matter of perspective. To do good, be rich in good works, eager to, there's our word, and willing to share. Listen to this. Talking about American poverty. Listen to this study that was just recently done. The U.S. is so economically exceptional. I'm trying to apply this term rich, where I say we're all rich. Even those of us that are poor are richer than the majority of the world. Okay, I've slept in a tent in Haiti for seven days. We've been to the in the Philippines where eight people live in a hut and they're happy. all right. So I'm I'm coming from that perspective where Paul's writing to people a lot worse off than we are who we would consider poor and Paul says you're rich if you have stuff. You're rich. Notice, listen to this. The US is so economically exceptional that the poorest 20% of Americans are richer than many of the world's most affluent nations. The poorest 20% of Americans consume more goods and services than the national averages for all people in most affluent countries. Now that's through government help as well. And we're blessed in that way. But listen, in other words, if the U.S. poor were a nation, it would be one of the world's riches. We are all blessed is the point, so we can all be generous. Notice, charge them that are rich in this age. You're rich, all right? to do good to be rich in good works look at the word eager this constantly comes up with this word of meeting needs eager urgency all those things and what paul is telling telling uh, timothy is this your church should be eager to distribute and willing to share for those that are in need okay the, 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 the word is need the word we're looking at now is distributing we're going to look at the word need here in just a moment notice what solomon said in uh, proverbs eleven twenty five. He says this, a generous man will prosper. One way or the other, God will prosper you. That doesn't mean you're going to get another dime, but you will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Sir John Templeton, who's dead now, chairman of the Templeton Fund, listen to what he said. He said, I've watched 100,000 families over my years of investment counseling. I've always saw greater prosperity and happiness among those families who tithed and were generous than among those who didn't. Billy Graham said this, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is and what they think of God, his Christ, and his kingdom. That'd be an amen right there. Spend five five minutes in your checkbook and we'll see how how much you think of God. We'll know how much you think of this church and we'll know how much you think of God's kingdom just by looking at your checkbook. Generosity, distributing... And I would encourage you, like the Lord's brother said, and this you've got to be careful with this because we should save for the future. We should. And the Bible tells us too. But notice what James told his congregation in James 5, 1, 3 about hoarding up. He says this, Come now, you rich, which applies to all of us, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. speaking as a prophet. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded. And their corrosion, now notice this, he's saying all your hoarding will be a witness against you I'm going to eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. And what he's saying is this, because of your hoarding, your judgment day will be so embarrassing for you. Notice what he says, your riches are corrupted. That's a picture of grain stored up so much that it's spooling. They have so much grain that it's spooling. He says your garments are moth-eaten. And back then clothes was a sign of wealth. And he says you've got so many clothes hanging up, that you don't use, that the moths are eating them. Now that wouldn't be applied to any of us, would it? That wouldn't apply to any of us. He says your gold and silver are corroded. Does gold and silver corrode? Nope, you know what he's saying? Your money's worthless. Eternally speaking, all that coin you got out there and you got them in mason jars and you hit it in the ground for a rainy day, all right? He says that rainy day's never coming and you're gonna die. And what good is your gold and silver? It's worthless for the kingdom of God worthless and, and now think about this look at the verse context 25 years after James the Lord's brother wrote this Titus the Roman governor came in he raped and robbed everybody they lost everything they had the people who received this letter lost everything he says Jesus would say this lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven one pastor said this about robbing God and hoarding he says it is because we are afraid We somehow think that our future will become more secure by hoarding God's resources now. We exclude God from our finances, that is, until things go wrong. But isn't it somewhat hypocritical, yes, to ask God to protect us and bless us financially when we've been robbing Him for the largest part of our lives? Now, the context here is this. The context here is this. You help another brother or sister in need. It's not just about giving to your church. When you give to your church, you give to our benevolence fund, which helps people in need. And it's a blessing. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, if you just give a cup of cold water in my name, you'll be blessed beyond measure. Solomon goes on to say this in Ecclesiastes. He says, give generously for your gifts will return to you later. Meaningful giving comes from the heart. Generous people, listen to this, talking about an authentic Christianity, generous people acknowledge The Lordship of Christ over everything they own. The psalmist says this, the earth is the Lord's. Do you believe that? Then he goes on to say this, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. MacArthur said this, God rightfully owns the whole works. If he lets us use any of it, he still retains the ownership, and we will give an account to him of how we used it as stewards. Our lives are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We belong to Jesus. Think about this. If he has given you health, you will give an account to him for how you managed your healthy body. I do believe that. If he has given you intelligence, he will demand an account of how you used it for his purposes. Some of us don't have to worry about that, do we? Think about time. I'm going to waste my life on myself. Think about your time. How much of your time have you tied to the glory of God? How much? How much of your time have you given to Jesus? Think about last week. Be honest. How much of your time have you given away? When I surrendered to the ministry, an old pastor one time told me, his name was Gary Jennings, he says, Boy, say goodbye to your weekends. And I said, What is a weekend? Since 1995, what is a weekend? How much of your time? God has given you time. You're alive today. Say, so not a blessing. Give your time. If we're going to present our bodies, as verse 1 and 2 says, as a living sacrifice, if we can give him our bodies, can we not give him our time? When I was in uh, the pastor's conference a couple years ago, and the pastor who's leading the conference, and I've shared this with you before, but his praise team is the casting crowns. And this is what he said. He said, here in Georgia, people would give you their money before they'll give you their time. Because time is something that we, they do not want to do without. You're a steward of the time that you have. Paul told the church at Ephesus, make the most of every opportunity. You know what that means? That's a God given opportunity, which means the door's open now, but it's going to close. And you have this time to do what God wants you to do. See, when I surrendered to ministry, I knew if I don't surrender now, when am I going to surrender? When I'm 30? 40? 50? Now is the time. Give God your time. One of the things you can pray at the end of the service is, God, this week is yours. This week is yours. Now think about this. Not only your health, not only your intelligence, not only your time. If he entrusts material goods and money to you, someday you'll answer for how you invested it in light of eternity. And when you help those in need, you're investing into eternity. Don't be like the guy in Luke 12. Notice the verse on the screen. And we all know the story. He had barns. He said, I got barns. I'm going to tear them down build build bigger barns. Eat, drink, and be merry. My soul is at ease. The Lord said, but God said to him. See, all that matters is what God says, right? You fool. Now, we're not supposed to call each other that. Okay? But God can, because he knows if you're a fool or not. He says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you or your soul will be required from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Understanding All right, that everything's the Lord's, even our bodies, right? So we're going to give them back. Notice, notice, look at the word "fool" here on here on the screen. It comes from the Greek word, which means to be without mind, without the use of the mind. That's why God called this guy a fool, because James says this: "What is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away." You know, he was preparing for his retirement. This guy was. He says, "I'm going to build bigger barns, eat, drink, and be merry. My soul is at ease." He was planning his retirement, and God was making his funeral arrangements. He was planning his retirement, and God was making his funeral arrangements. That's the moral of the story. This very night, your life will be demanded, or your soul will be required of you. That Greek word for demanded or required, listen to this. Literally means to demand back or require back. It's coming back conveying the idea of a life as a loan that must be repaid to God upon demand you're going to give an account of your health, your intelligence, your time and your resources and what God says to this man is you are going to stand before me in judgment of all the things that I've blessed you with you will give your life back to God one way or the other and he'll judge you based on that one day something to think about isn't it? the moral of the story, this rich man gave it back anyway notice then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Every day I leave my house, I realize I may not return and somebody else is going to own my house. Somebody's going to own it. My house, you know, you know. If you get, they say they built the pyramids, put King Tut in there, and put all his stuff in there. Guess what? Go back later and all this stuff's still there. Your stuff don't leave this world. Your house you're going to leave to somebody else. You do realize that, don't you? You're gonna leave everything you own to somebody else. That's what God is telling this man. And it's not that he has stuff. God doesn't say you can't have stuff. God doesn't say you can't have a lot of stuff. But don't hoard it and use everything you got on yourself if there's somebody in need. okay. And also remember God has a kingdom plan, does he not? God has a kingdom plan. And God says allow your life, your time, your help. Your money bring honor and glory to me. I heard about two men who were at a funeral of a wealthy man. The first man said this, "How much do you think he left behind?" And the other man said, "He left it all. He left every bit of it." Okay? Distributing is the first word, which means be generous. Look at the word needs in verse 13. One way we can bring honor and glory to God is to meet the needs of his people. When we help those from the flood, Okay, Think about this. What does the word need mean? You can look it up in the Greek. It means to lack. It means to lack food. It means to lack clothes. It means to lack whatever. It means to lack. It means if you don't help me, I don't have it. That's a need. It's not like I don't eat breakfast, but I do eat lunch and supper. It's like I don't have nothing. It's kind of like when we talked about when the flood happened. And I didn't realize how bad it was until the first man got off the bus with just a pair of shorts. And I asked him where his belongings were, and he says, you don't understand, I don't have nothing. This is it. It's all I have left. That's a need, right? That's what the word need means. That's what the word need means. And if somebody is in that kind of need, and you don't help, can you honestly say that the love of God is in your heart? Understand that when I say need, that's what the word need means. In America, we've made need into, well, I don't have as much as you, so give me your stuff. That's what need means need means I have nothing and I'm calling out to you to help me just to get by we had an incident here about four years ago there's a man sitting up front here and I won't go really deep into it it's it's not an embarrassing situation we're just trying to help him and the person he was sitting with I said who is this and they told me he's been living in a tent I said "He he don't have anywhere to work he's homeless and I said are you willing to work he said yeah and I said here's what we'll do for you we'll pay three months rent somewhere and we'll get you a job and guess what happened That was a need, right? You know, he doesn't have that need now because he works and has a place to live. Need. But there was a need. Who are we as a church if we're in a $4.5 million building that can't help a homeless person? Pretty sad, isn't it? That's what the word need means. Need. Notice what James says. He gets down to the brass tacks in James 2.15. He says, for what good is it? Look at that. What good is it? My brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister without clothes, that's a need, and daily food, that's a need. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. One scholar says, James is not raising the question about whether one is saved by faith alone, but he is dealing with the question of what is genuine or true saving faith. He used that word need. It means to lack. It's in the present tense, which means their situation, they cannot change it. That's what it means. And he says, what are you going to say? Go in peace? You know what that is? I'm praying for you. I'll be praying for you, brother. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you that say I'm praying for you are really praying for them? Praying? Really? Yeah, it'd be like somebody coming in here having absolutely nothing. I said, Church, let's gather around this person and pray. And then we all go to Mexico Viejo after, after the service and just leave the guy here. That's what James is saying. Can you say you really have faith if you see somebody present tense and it's not changing, they don't have clothes or food, and you say, Go in peace, we're praying for you? Wow. Distributing to the needs. That's what James is pointing out. The person had needs, okay? And then he says this, think about physical needs, what about ministerial needs or missionary needs? Notice Titus 3, he speaks about this. Notice what he says, and let our people also maintain good works to meet urgent needs. Look at that, urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. The very verse before this explains this, and Paul writes to Titus and he says, they're on Isle of Crete trying to spread the gospel, and he says, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need and what Paul is telling Titus is we're sending two men they're born again Christians which means they can only work in certain places if at all they're sharing the gospel which means they're going to be hated once they step foot on Crete and the only hope they have of being successful in the ministry is you you have to meet urgent needs because the gospel is of urgency urgency not only do you meet physical needs but you meet ministerial missionary needs as well. The only hope that they had was that uh, Titus's church would come to their aid and help them. And he says, you must learn to do this. You must learn to do this. MacArthur put it this way, whether it's spiritual, encouragement, whether it's material, whatever it might be, food, housing, you take care of them, they are on a mission activity for the glory of God. Now notice verse 13. Distributing to the needs of the... Saints, first. Brothers and sisters in Christ, first, one guy put it this way, regardless of their gender, ethnic background, economic status, political affiliation, education level, physical abilities, if they are in need, they should be assisted. There is no inequality with God, but he does start with the church. Just as judgment starts in the house of God, as the Apostle Peter says, so does the distribution of goods and, and uh Materials for those that are in need. Now sometimes the world would probably say this. This is selfish or mean. But who cares what the world says. Do not get your theology from pagans. Get them from God's word. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Start there first. Start there first. Paul's charge to the Galatians is this. So then, while we have opportunity. Let us do good to all men. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Meeting God's people's needs, uh, physically and materially, for God's purposes. But also, notice the word after the comma, given or practicing hospitality. The word hospitality comes from two Greek words, philo, which means love, and then zenos, z-e-n-o-s, which means stranger. It means you're a lover of strangers. Now think about this. Over and over again, the New Testament insists on the duty of the open door. Hebrews 3, 2, 2, I'm sorry, says this. Do not neglect to show hospitality, same word, to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. 1 Peter 3, 2, this is so important. It was part of being in leadership in the church. Paul says to Timothy, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Peter, in the verse we'll look at here in just a little while, says be hospitable to one another, without complaint. Now, how do you apply this today? Well, you got to understand the context. In New Testament times, travel was so dangerous and ends were so evil, scarce and expensive. So the early believers often opened their homes to travelers, especially to fellow believers. Now, think about this. They opened their homes because when you traveled, you had nowhere to stay either stay out in the open or go to an inn which is very dangerous and what Paul would say this if they're a brother and sister in Christ you can trust them because they expected people that were born again to be born again and he says you just open up your house to them Okay, gotta understand the context this was normal back in those days this was normal back so normal that Jesus said this he made this statement he, and he instructed his disciples he said that you don't take nothing for your journey except a mere staff no bread no bag no money in your belt, Mark 6 8. Why? Christ's directions to the apostles to take nothing for their journey presupposes that they were sure of always finding hospitality. Indeed, it is assumed. He goes on in Luke or Matthew to say this In whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at that house until you leave that city. He said, They'll open the doors for you. It was normal Jewish custom back in those days. Luke 10 7 said this. Jesus says this Stay in that house Eating and drinking What they give you For the labor is worthy Of his wages Do not keep moving From house to house He says What you're going to be Tempted to do Is find out That your partner uh, Disciple is in another house And they're feeding him better So you're going to Want to move houses Don't move from house to house It's just assumed That the door would be open Okay Now does that mean That I pick up hitchhikers today I'm not going to does that mean if somebody comes at my house at 12 o'clock tonight and knocks on the door and says, I need somewhere to stay, I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll take you to the hotel. Okay, context. We live in a different time, don't we? You got to be smart and you got to use wisdom. If one of you came, I would. I know you. Okay? I know every one of you. Be a little sketchy, Bobby, but everybody else is good. Alright? You got to understand context. Notice what Paul says about this. He says, he, Paul gave a special blessing in the Bible, to the house of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, but when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. You know what he's saying? When I was on my missionary journeys, we stayed in his house, our whole team did. He mentions that. He gives this man a a special blessing for his hospitality. Then he says when when he was in Rome, now you understand, typically in that culture when you were in jail, the only food you got family brought or friends, The only clothes you got is what they brought. Rome didn't have this government system where they took care of prisoners. But he said, Oneserus came, he searched me out, and he met my needs. Hospitality. That's what that means. Paul gives him a special blessing in the Bible for opening up his house, and then also whenever he was in jail, he came to him first. Now notice what Peter says here on the screen. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Let me give you a little bit of context. When Peter wrote this letter, persecution was not official, nor empire-wide, it wasn't sanctioned by the Senate of Rome but it was growing. It was localized, random, brutal in some cases as in the persecution or as in the practice of Nero who hated Christianity but not the persecution that would eventually erupt in a decade or two because it did come. But even as this letter opens, the signs are there. The marginalization of Christianity had begun, death threats were common, some had already lost everything they owned by the time Jesus writes to the seven churches In Revelation, this persecution had already begun. Peter starts out this epistle by saying this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims. Think about that word pilgrims in context of hospitality. He refers to them as strangers in their own country. This term here translated pilgrim is a term that refers to a temporary resident, a traveler whose stay is only a matter of weeks or months. Now this was both figurative and it was also for real. He says you are a pilgrim in this land now because you're a Christian, but also we ultimately know that our citizenship is in heaven. So this term Peter uses for alien or pilgrim also indicates that these scattered believers are without any legal protection or personal individual rights that would be provided the citizens of these nations where they had moved. What a great need for hospitality. Notice on the map, if you'll show the map. To our right is Turkey, modern-day Turkey. When Peter writes this epistle, he says to the pilgrims of the dispersion, and then he mentions these places he mentions Cappadocia, he mentions Asia, he mentions Galatia, he mentions Bithynia, notice, here to my right and your right then if you notice to the left of the same landmass, you have the seven churches of Revelation which by the time Jesus writes to them, uh, really statewide persecution had happened one person puts it this way, he says this area that Peter mentions, which is up here on the screen, which is modern-day Turkey represents millions of people the area he writes to is roughly the same size geographically, if you started with Texas and went all the way to California. This wasn't a little postcard for a few churches. This was extensive, desperately needed revelation for thousands and thousands of Christians who were feeling like they didn't belong anywhere. They were pilgrims. These believers were so scattered, these believers were scattered like seed over 750,000 square miles. Go back to that verse in 1 Peter 4. that's why he says, "Be hospitable." You're going to have people fleeing. You're going to have people with no hope. They're going to lose their jobs. You're the only hope these people have. You're the only hope. And he says, be hospitable to one another, meaning saints, it's in verse 13, of like mine. He said, if they're born again, you, you take care of them and don't grumble about it. Don't grumble about it. So how does all this apply to the church today? Well, we can all be generous, right? If there's a need, if there's a need then say, God, can I use some of my resources to meet that need? Can I use some of my resources to meet that need? Think about this, go to the last slide, Michael. You should be welcoming. You should welcome people who are different than you on an economics level. You know, when when the first church came about, could you imagine those in Rome, you had upper class, then you had no class, just upper class, no middle class. Upper class and poor, you had masters, typically in slaves, you had politicians, you had slaves, you had Romans, and then you had pagan Jews, they called them. right? Imagine getting saved and going to church together. Imagine getting saved, you, you, you working for this person, and then a person of the senate comes to church and you're on equal footing. He's not even better than you, you're not even better than him. That's what, that's what changed Rome. Look at ethnicity. Jews hated Gentiles. Gentiles hated Jews, then they got saved, and guess what happened? started going to church together. Started marrying one another. It changed everything. This should be the most welcoming place in Alexander County for people of other races. should be. And then look at education levels. This was a a big deal now. It's a really big deal back then. If you didn't reach a certain education level, you couldn't do anything. Well, what Paul says, if you have Christ, we welcome each other. I'm no better than you. We're all in need of God's grace, and we're all in need of saving. So let me ask you a question. In closing, are you a generous person? Are you? Are you a greedy, hoarding person? I'll tell you this. This is the most generous church I've ever been a part of in my life. Hands down. If you see what I see on a daily basis of God working through people in this church to meet needs, I'm so humbled and honored. Whom do you need to show hospitality to this week? Who? I don't mean you open your house up, and maybe just you open yourself up to that person. And then the greatest question of all is this. Have you been born again? Jesus Christ saves and changes lives. Has there come a point in time in your life when you repented and you've said, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I was wrong. God, you're right. My only hope for salvation is to place my faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, you talk about being an authentic Christian. Lord, it changed Rome. This empire, Lord, was changed and used for your glory over hundreds of years of men and women who placed their faith in Jesus and practiced it on a daily basis. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this letter. We thank you for the challenge. Lord, we all fall short, but Lord, we also make a lot of excuses as well. Help us to be hospitable, generous people, especially meeting the needs of your people. Then and only then will you truly be honored in glory. In Jesus' name I pray and all the God's people say together, amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for, for being here today. And we hope to see you back here Sunday. I will make this mention, if we ever have bad weather, We'll never send a phone tree telling you we're having church. We'll just send you a phone tree telling you that we're not. So we'll, we'll do those phone trees before 9 o'clock, okay? God bless you. hope you have a great um, Sunday. And hope to see you back here next week.